Democrats look for an excuse to blame Ron DeSantis for Hurricane Ian as the fallout from the natural disaster continues. Vladimir Putin annexes parts of Ukraine, upping the chances of nuclear war. And Joe Biden goes wandering again. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, as you know, the government is addicted to spending, and that reckless spending is driving up costs on pretty much everything. None of that is fair, but you also don't have to be a victim. Instead, why not lower your monthly costs in an easy way? I mean, lower the cost on your cell phone bill. Switch your cell phone service to Pure Talk. Take a look at that cell phone bill. If you're with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, I know how much you pay. The answer is you are paying too much money. Pure Talk will give you unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. That could be a huge savings for you and your family. That's grocery money or gas money, and Pure Talk never raises their rates, like ever. By switching to Pure Talk, the average family of four is saving over 75 bucks every month. Customers are realizing they simply don't need as much data as they thought they did. Join the hundreds of thousands who are making the switch to Pure Talk today. When you switch to Pure Talk with my special discount, you'll get 50% off your very first month. Just go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, enter code Shapiro for this special offer. That's puretalk.com, enter code Shapiro for 50% off your very first month of coverage. Again, puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro, get 50% off your first month. No reason for you to pay the big guys when you could pay Pure Talk instead and spend a lot less money. puretalk.com, enter code Shapiro to get started. Alrighty. Also, make sure that you do the thing that matters most to your family's legacy. I'm talking about preserving your family's memories. This is like one of the most important things I think anybody can do. Like seriously, anyone. You have a bunch of memories. They're out there in the garage. You know, all your old pictures, they're falling apart. All that old film, right? The one that you used to like take out of the back of the camera. All of that stuff degrades over time. Your VHS tapes, those will fall apart. They will not be usable anymore. All those camcorder reels, those will be gone. You need to make sure that those are preserved. This is why Legacy Box exists. Legacy Box exists to preserve your family's recorded moments digitally, ensuring that they are safe forever. Legacy Box makes reclaiming and preserving your most cherished memories incredibly easy. You send in your old VHS and camcorder tapes, film, and photos. Their team then sends everything back on a thumb drive, DVD, or cloud, digitally preserving your memories forever. Every kit includes everything you need to safely pack and send your records. The irreplaceable moments can be easily viewed, shared, passed on for future generations. In fact, I've done this for my parents, I believe, twice, and for myself. The other day, my dad pulled out a thumb drive and he showed me some video of my grandfather and, and him and his sister when, when they were kids. Just amazing, amazing stuff. Don't let your photos fade or your tapes get chewed up by the VCR. Safeguard those family memories with Legacy Box today. Convert your tapes to digital so you can take them anywhere safely. Visit LegacyBox.com Shapiro. Shop my exclusive offer. That's LegacyBox.com Shapiro to get started. We have more news from the fallout from Hurricane Ian. Dozens of people are dead in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, mostly people who were drowned. You would assume these are disproportionately elderly citizens who either couldn't leave the house or didn't leave the house and then were unable to escape when the floodwaters rose. According to the Washington Post, Florida residents are grappling with widespread destruction and flooding after Hurricane Ian, one of the most powerful storms to ever hit the United States, amid ongoing search efforts and a death toll that has risen to at least 62. Across the most affected parts of the state, local and federal rescue crews continued to scour neighborhoods for survivors. We're not in recovery phase, said Chase Fabrizio, the leader of Maryland Task Force One, a search and rescue crew of FEMA. We are still in the search. Across the southwest and central regions of the state, about 800,000 homes and businesses remained without power on Sunday afternoon, according to poweroutage.us. In North Carolina, there were still 16,000 customers without power. By the way, that 800,000 homes and businesses remaining without power, that is down from well north of 2 million in the immediate aftermath of the hurricane. Meanwhile, several bridges were destroyed, complicating rescue efforts. The causeway to Sanibel Island, a 12-mile bar barrier island, was rendered impassable, cutting off the island from the mainland. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden are planning to travel to Puerto Rico on Monday and Florida on Wednesday to survey the hurricane damage. Again, this is one of my least favorite things in American politics is when people 
from the White House feel the necessity to jet set to disaster areas to gaze out across the wreckage and be like, ah, well, now that I'm here, I guess everything is okay. Again, I hated it when, when it was Bush. I didn't like it with Obama. I didn't like it with Trump. It's just a consistent bugaboo of my own. I really don't like it when we act as though the president has godlike powers to quell the rising waters. That's not the way any of this works. According to the Florida Medical Examiner's Commission, they said the hurricane had caused at least 58 deaths in the state, most of them from drowning. That tally did not include Charlotte County, where local officials have also confirmed multiple deaths. As I said, many of the victims were older than age 60. Bodies were found inside flooded cars floating in water and on the beach. There are four storm-related deaths in North Carolina as well. Now, naturally, because this is the United States, everything turns political pretty quickly. Ron DeSantis, by all available metrics, has been doing a pretty good job of handling all of this. He announced that all the ports in Florida would be open by Saturday. The ports, Tampa Bay, Miami, Everglades, uh, they are reopened for fueling. Uh, and I think between today and tomorrow, all the ports in the state of Florida, uh, up and down the both coasts, will be uh, operational. Many in the media are looking for an excuse to blame DeSantis for some things. So the thing that they have come up with so far is DeSantis defending his Lee County late evacuation, or by late evacuation, or we mean it was still 21 hours before the Cat 4 Superstorm made landfall on North Captiva Island. And again, that was a mandatory evacuation order that only went out 21 hours beforehand, specifically because the storm took a really, really late turn. It was expected, of course, to move north into the panhandle, and then it took this very late breaking turn. Again, that's still almost a day to get out if you need to get out. So the fact that a lot of people didn't leave, a lot of people were told to leave and they didn't. Some local officials said the county was lulled into a sense of false complacency in the lead up to the cataclysmic event. The barrier islands first hit by Ian were all part of the projected models of the storm paths 72 hours after it slammed before it slammed into the United States. But Fort Myers was not. And Fort Myers is, of course, the place where he did not say mandatory evacuation until about 21 hours before. So again, following the map meant that DeSantis did what he did, but they're going to try to pretend now that somehow this was an act of incompetence and that if he had if he had just come out and said, everybody in Florida, I guess, should have evacuated the state, that would have fixed it. This is a dog that won't hunt. People knew if they were in the storm path, they had to get out of the way. Again, if you have a full day to get out of the way of a Cat 4 and you don't get out of the way of a Cat 4, generally that is by choice. There's not a lot of information that people 20 hours beforehand were basically stuck in traffic trying to get out of that particular area. If we find out differently, obviously, then maybe the math changes a little bit, but that is not what we know thus far. The other area where the media are jumping all over DeSantis is that DeSantis talked about the fact that in the aftermath of, for example, Hurricane Katrina, you saw widespread looting. You saw people who were stealing things. You saw a lot of criminality. He said while he was uh, while he was touring the state, do not think about looting. You should remember that this is a Second Amendment state. If you try to loot things, you may get shot. We want to make sure we're maintaining law and order. Uh, don't even think about looting. Don't even think about taking advantage of people in this vulnerable uh, situation. And so local law enforcement is involved in, 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 in monitoring that. You know, I told Kevin if the state needs to help as well, uh, because you, know, you can have people you know, bringing boats into some of these islands and trying to ransack people's homes. Um, I can tell you in the state of Florida, uh, you never know what may be lurking behind somebody's home. And I would not want to chance that if I were you, given that we're a Second Amendment state. Uh, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody seconded that. She said looting is not going to be tolerated in the state of Florida, which obviously differentiates it from the place where I came from, uh, California, where looting was tolerated in widespread fashion without a natural disaster just because, hell, why not? Anyway, here was the Florida AG. In no way, shape or form do we want Floridians to feel when we ask them to evacuate that they can't do so and leave their property 
securely. And yes, we have seen instances of folks going into homes trying to burglarize, burglarize them, and we don't want that to be any reason for folks to be hesitant to leave in the future or even now. So uh, we've issued those strong warnings, and certainly Florida uh, Governor DeSantis has been, been strong and made sure that everyone knows Florida is a law and order state, and that will not be tolerated. Now, this is a completely racially neutral standard. Don't loot things and you won't get shot. This seems pretty obvious, except to the folks over at MSNBC. Joy Reid tweeted out, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Segregationist Miami Sheriff Walter Headley, 1967, didn't take DeSantis long to return to form. Ah, he's a segregationist now. So when he says that you shouldn't loot in the middle of a hurricane aftermath recovery and that there are a lot of people in Florida who own guns, that's obviously a form of segregation. By the way, you talk about the low bigotry, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Um, that's pretty hard bigotry right there because apparently Joy Reid is now assuming that everybody who would be looting in the state of Florida is black, which is why Ron DeSantis would be saying that. An insane proposition given the fact a lot of not black people live in Florida and presumably many criminals who are not black live in Florida and would be engaging in looting if that were to happen. So well done there from Joy Reid. Again, this is a dog that's not going to hunt. So far, there's a struggle to come up with some sort of narrative as to how DeSantis is blowing this because what Democrats are really afraid of is that DeSantis will respond to this in actually mature, responsible fashion. And if that happens, it boosts his chances at 2024 even more. Meanwhile, Kamala Harris continuing to do what she does worst, which is be vice president. So the vice president of the United States actually said out loud that hurricane and disaster relief should be allotted and allocated based on race, which is crazy. I mean, you should actually give people who need the money and the resources, the money and resources they need, not based on their skin color, but again, because this entire administration has been pervaded by equity considerations. This is how you end up with Kamala Harris saying this sort of nonsense. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making. And so we absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities. The smarm is so strong with this one. So just to get this straight, we're not going to pay attention to which communities need it most. We're going to pay attention to which communities are apparently most stacked with people of color in the name of equity, according to Kamala Harris. This, of course, prompted the state of Florida to be like, no, that's not the way this is working. That would actually be illegal, right? You can't actually do that under federal or state law that is discriminatory. The fact that the vice president of the United States keeps saying stuff like this is, once again, demonstrative of a worldview that is incredibly perverse. The idea being, again, the old New York Times headline, world to end tomorrow, women and minorities hit hardest. Now it's hurricane hits, women and minorities hit hardest, even if we have, by the way, we have no evidence that that's the case. Many of the areas that were absolutely destroyed here, like Sanibel Island, that is a very wealthy area. I mean, you're talking about some of the wealthiest areas of Florida, you're like vacation islands with a lot of white people who are very, very rich. And uh, apparently those people don't get any aid because what, equity or something? Meanwhile, in another ironic headline, according to the Daily Wire, a Coast Guard hero who was praised by Joe Biden for saving lives after Hurricane Ian is now facing discharge because he didn't get the COVID jab. Apparently, aviation survival technician second class Zach Loesch earned praise on a Friday phone call from the commander-in-chief for kicking in a wall to save a trapped wheelchair-bound woman and her husband. The guardsman hoisted the woman in her wheelchair to a waiting helicopter, according to Breitbart, which interviewed him. Biden said in a press release, I told him how proud I was of him and thanked him for all the hard work he and his coasties are doing to save lives. And uh, he personally thanked Loesch 
and Lieutenant Commander Christopher Hooper for the heroic work they and their Coast Guard colleagues have performed during search and rescue operations in response to Hurricane Ian. Apparently, Biden said that Hooper's team also saved a one-month-old baby. It was not clear where the rescues occurred. There's only one problem, according to the Daily Wire. The next time Loesch hears from a federal official, it could be to learn that his career is over because he told Breitbart that he had applied for religious exemption to avoid taking the COVID vax, but doesn't expect to have it honored. He said, if I'd asked any of the people I saved yesterday if they wanted to come with me, even though I'm unvaxxed, every single one of them would have said yes, he said. And all of this is madness. And again, demonstrative of the silliness of this administration, which has very screwed up priorities, shall we say. Meanwhile, the left is trying to take advantage of Hurricane Ian, not just to bag on Ron DeSantis for no discernible reason, but also to push the idea that this is climate change. So they had on the, the noted scientific expert, Bill Nye, who's mostly a noted scientific expert because he spoke to us about basic, basic science, like how to make a potato battery when we were all eight. But apparently Bill Nye is like the best climate scientist they could come up with over at CNN. So the very, very well-versed in all climatology, Bill Nye, and Jim Acosta, who's very well-versed in how mirrors work, they, they really went at it here. If we don't acknowledge there's a problem, we're not going to get it done. And so I just, I just yeah. want to ask conservative lawmakers to cut it out. I understand that you want to get reelected. I understand that you have this primary system which motivates you to get these, these hardcore conservative voters uh, engaged. But look, you've just, just cut it out. We've got hundreds of thousands of people yeah. suffering tremendously. Now, come on, let's get to work. This is the United States. Come on, let's be world leaders for crying out loud. And Bill, I mean, when we talk to people out here on the ground, you know, I, I talked to several folks this morning who were saying this, that, you know, we just need to come together as a country. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry, listening to Bill Nye lecture you about climate change, this is just, a, if only we had the will, man. If only we just, if only we could all wear weird bow ties and still live off the legacy of making a show that we used to like put on our VHS tapes in 1997. And then you got Jim Acosta being like, I too am a climate change expert because I'm standing in Florida wearing a polo shirt that's unbuttoned. Look at me. I know about climate change as well. And the data demonstrate hurricanes are not more common and they're not more severe. This is one of the areas where the link between climate change and weather events is actually the weakest by all available data. It is interesting to note that Bill Gates, who's a big proponent of the idea that we have to do world-beating change in order to prevent climate change, even Bill Gates came out yesterday and he said, I don't think it's realistic to say that people are utterly going to change their lifestyle because of concerns about climate. You can have a cultural revolution where you're trying to throw everything up. You can create a North Korean type situation where the state is in control. Other than immense central authority to have people just obey, I think the collective action problem is just completely not solvable. Anyone who says that we will tell people to stop eating meat or stop wanting to have a nice house and will just basically change human desires, I think that's too difficult. You make a case for it, but I don't think it's realistic for that to play an absolutely central role. That is correct. I mean, shock of shocks. It turns out that, that apparently Bill Gates is now living in the world of reality. Well, there is one piece of news with regard to climate change that, uh, that seems relevant here, and that is that the UN is now basically admitting that they are working with the world search engines to shut down all available information that rebuts the common narrative on the left, right? Which is that climate change is entirely man-made, not, not mostly, entirely. And also that we can prevent all climate change in the future if only you stop eating meat and only if you stop, if you, if you get a smaller house and and you just get rid of that gas-powered vehicle, and if you have fewer kids, and all the rest of it. This is why you had UN official Melissa Fleming at the World Economic Forum explaining that because the UN is in charge of the science, they now get to hang out with the folks over at Google and determine exactly what sort of stuff you get to see on this topic. You know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, 
you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we, we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science and we think that the world, you know, should know it. And, and the platforms themselves also do. Um, but again, it's, it's, it is, um, it's, it's a huge, huge challenge that I think all sectors of society need to be very active in. Yeah, the words of, ty uh, of tyranny right there. We own the science. We are the same thing you heard from Anthony Fauci. He was the science. Therefore, you had to listen to him no matter how wrong he was. And now you have this UN official saying, we own the science. Therefore, we are working with search engines to prevent you from seeing information that rebuts some of the things that we are saying. And it, the, the informational environment is just going to get worse here because there are so many people at the very top who are fully, full on convinced that they know better than you. And therefore, they get to dictate terms to you and prevent you from seeing any sort of dissenting information. Meanwhile, the White House is attempting to use Hurricane Ian to blame gas companies again for rising gas prices. So here is a Karine Jean-Pierre, the wildly untalented press secretary to the president of the United States, explaining that the White House is going to make sure that gas companies don't take advantage of hurricanes. Again, this is one of the dumbest talking points for the White House. The, the gas prices, they were going down. Now they spiked a little bit. And that's what happens when you have a natural disaster and it attenuates all of the lines. So instead, you have KJP out there saying, well, you know, no, no, no. it's really just the, the that they got greedy again. So every time prices go up, it's because companies are getting greedy. I guess when they go down, it's because they become randomly altruistic. So here's Karine Jean-Pierre. What we're saying is we're just making sure that while we're, while people are dealing, what we are all dealing with a hurricane, uh, that gas and oil companies don't take advantage of it. It's just uh, it's just a, a, a little bit of a, hey, we, we want to make sure in this time uh, when people are losing their homes, when people are dealing with an incredibly difficult time, uh, that we shouldn't take advantage of it. That's it. It is just coming from the president, and we feel that coming from uh, the president is a, is a powerful voice. And so... Uh, look, we don't. We know that disruptions from hurricanes can pose challenge to markets, uh, but the but the latest projections show that major refineries should not be impacted uh, by Hurricane uh, uh, Ian. And so, uh, so we're just making it very clear to the oil companies. The president is making it very clear to the oil companies. Uh, so there's nothing more to it than just uh, being just vigilant about that. One of the most irritating aspects of the modern day left, and I would say the left for the past several decades, is something that has been termed emotivism by a wide variety of philosophers. Emotivism is the attribution of an emotional, a, a, a sort of motive, an emotional motive to, to what your opponent is doing. Your opponent isn't doing something because they, in good faith, have the wrong ideas. Your opponent is doing it because they're mean or greedy or terrible. You saw this with regard to Bill Nye and Jim Acosta, right? The reason that people are not saying that hurricanes are linked to climate change is not because maybe they have differing data or maybe they actually look at the data, unlike Bill Nye and Jim Acosta, it's because they're mean and they're cruel and they need to get elected in Republican primaries. Now you have Karine Jean-Pierre suggesting that the reason the oil prices are going up is not because of market conditions, it's because of the cruelty and evil of the oil companies. This does allow you to avoid the consequence of your own bad policy. And you just get to claim that, that the real reason that your policies are failing is because everyone is mean. The real reason that your policies just are having precisely the opposite of their intended consequence is because everybody around you is cruel and vicious. Gavin Newsom is doing this routine. So the gas prices in California are extraordinarily high. We're talking above six bucks per gallon. The average price a gallon per this week in California is $6.29 a gallon in California. $6.29. Here where I live, which is in South Florida, you're talking about still well below $4 a gallon. In California, it's above $6 a gallon right now, well above it. But here's Gavin Newsom blaming the oil companies for being greedy, not his own garbage policy. 
Gas prices in California have increased by a record 84 cents per gallon in just over one week. That's a $2.50 difference compared to U.S. prices. It just doesn't add up. The degree of divergence from the national prices has never happened before. And oil companies, they provide no explanation. The fact is, they're ripping you off. Their record profits are coming at your expense. And that's why today I'm calling for a windfall tax to ensure these profits go directly back to help millions of Californians who are paying for this oil company extortion. In addition, earlier today, I directed the Air Resources Board to make an early transition to our winter blend gasoline. This should immediately increase supply and result in savings, savings of up to 25 cents per gallon within the next okay. two weeks. Yeah. He's such a used car salesman. I, I love it. We are going to do this thing and it's going to reduce gas prices by 25 cents per gallon, which will bring us to just above $6 per gallon, which is still like more than $2 more than any place else in the country. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, we all hope that we'll never need life insurance, but the reality is we will all need life insurance because again, sad story, everyone is going to die. But here's the thing, the life insurance you have through your workplace, it may not offer enough protection for your family needs and it won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as you age, you should get it locked in like right now. And Policy Genius makes that happen for you. They give you a smarter way to find and buy the right coverage for you and your family. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 17 bucks per month for 500 grand in coverage. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid those unnecessary medical exams. They're not incentivized to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Again, policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you've heard me talk about my Helix Sleep mattress, basically the only thing that allows me to keep on doing my job since my kids keep me up at all hours of the night. That's not the only place I grab sleep. Okay, the reality is that it's the middle of the day. My kids have been wiping me out. It's on the show. I need to conk out for like 15 minutes. My all-form sofa makes the magic happen. Helix has left the bedroom and has entered the living room with Allform. They've launched a new company. It's called Allform. They're ready to make the best sofas in the game. Allform sofas are American-made, easy to assemble, scratch and stain resistant, stylish and comfortable. Allform sofas are modern yet timeless. They're seating pieces that come in a variety of sizes, shapes, and configurations. They're easily customizable. They cost a fraction of what you would pay in traditional stores. They're designed to be flexible and adaptable. They can even grow with you the way you live. So you start off with a smaller couch and then it tends to grow over time, they've got everything from armchairs and love seats to an eight-seat sectional, so you can find the perfect piece for any space. Plus, all form sofas are shipped directly to your door, can be assembled in just a few minutes, no tools necessary. Plus, again, you can try it out for 100 days if you decide whether you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and give you a full refund. So go to allform.com slash Ben right now. They're offering 20% off all of our orders for our listeners. Again, that's allform.com slash Ben. Step up your sofa game today. It's probably because oil companies in California are particularly mean. Like everywhere else, they're very altruistic, but in California, they're extraordinarily mean. Or alternatively, California's energy policy is garbage. It's a really, really bad energy policy. That's precisely what the editorial board over at the Wall Street Journal is saying. Quote, California gas prices have long been higher than the national average owing to hefty fuel taxes and climate regulations. But the difference now is the largest in at least two decades. Taxes add about 66 cents to the price of a gallon, about twice as much on average as other states. California's cap and trade program and low carbon fuel standard add roughly another 46 cents a gallon. So just right off the bat, you're talking about the cap and trade program and the taxes. You're talking about a buck 12 that is being added directly to the price of gas. Okay, so that's already explaining more than half of the discrepancy 
currently between national gas prices and California gas prices. These climate regulations are causing refineries to shut down or convert to producing biofuels that are more profitable because of rich government subsidies. California lost 12% of refining capacity between 2017 and 2021, and is set to lose another 8% by the end of next year. Yet refineries outside of the state can't produce its supposedly greener fuel blend. Right, So the reason he's going to the winter fuel blend, which is the less green version, is because there's such heavy restrictions on how you do the fuel blend in California that only California refineries can do it. But California refineries have been shuttering because they can't make enough of a profit by doing business in the state of California because of Gavin Newsom. So, so, but they're the ones who are mean. They're the ones who are cruel. It, it's just, it, it is such common left-wing government status nonsense to create a vast regulatory scheme that drives up the cost of a product and then blame capitalism for the failure of the competitiveness of the product. As the Wall Street Journal points out, when California refineries experience problems, gasoline supply becomes tight and prices shoot up. A few refineries are experiencing scheduled maintenance after running all out over the summer. A couple experienced unexpected problems. West Coast fuel inventories are the lowest in a decade, and California refiners are now reaping huge profits because they can and because they have to, because you have to stock up right now because when the pendulum swings the other way, you're going to get crushed. If you're a refiner on the Gulf Coast, your gross, your gross profit on gas is about 6 bucks 60 cents per barrel of oil. If you're in LA, it's about $101, according to Tom Close of the Oil Price Information Service. As much as progressives loathe big oil, their climate policies benefit large refiners and producers that can sustain the state's steep regulatory costs. They created basically a de facto monopoly for all the people they're not yelling at. So again, well done here from Gavin Newsom. This is why he desperately is attempting to backfill his own bad policy by allowing those refineries to produce winter blend, which again is the, the less clean version of fuel. Meanwhile, on an international level, the drop in oil prices is actually going to now lead to higher prices because OPEC does not like it when the gas prices drop this much. So according to the Wall Street Journal, OPEC Plus is now set to consider its most drastic reduction of production since the pandemic in order to help prop up falling oil prices, a move that could pressure on global economic growth. OPEC and its Moscow-led allies, collectively known as OPEC Plus, is considering a cut of more than a million barrels a day, delegates in the group said. Concerns about a slowing global economy have dragged oil prices down at their fastest pace since the COVID-19 outbreak began in early 2020, prompting OPEC to consider ways to prop up the price of oil. Any move by OPEC to raise oil prices could put further pressure on Western consumers who are already hurting from high energy costs while also helping Russia, one of the biggest energy producers in the world, fill its stake coffers as it wages war against Ukraine. So again, the inflationary policy that was pursued by central banks all over the West and the insane spending policies pursued by nearly every European country. Plus, you get off the gas and it turns out that you're still getting the gas and natural gas from, from Russia. Well, then when the prices drop because your economy sinks, all the places that produce gas restrict supply in order to drive up the price again. So the prices, which are already inflated because Russia is already taking a, a two by four to your energy markets. Now those prices are set to jump even more. So again, well done policymakers here. Oil prices had shot up over $100 a barrel and stayed there for months. But Brent crude, the global oil benchmark, is now down 23% this quarter. Falling oil prices are often a pressure release valve for the global economy, reducing costs as demand falls in a cycle that repeats itself. OPEC Plus often holds itself out as a regulator of the oil market, aiming to keep supply and demand balanced. But a production cut would support prices at a time when they are at historically high levels. Because even though the oil prices have been coming down recently, like over the past month or so, they're still very, very high compared to where they were like a year ago. Adele Hamazia, a visiting fellow at the Center for Middle Eastern Studies at Harvard, said the move could play a role in making recessions worse in some countries. He explained the production cut could push inflation higher and hurt oil demand further. The U.S. has actually asked OPEC to pump more oil, but it turns out that Joe Biden's plan to yell at the Saudis because they're very, very mean and killed Jamal Khashoggi, it turns out that now the Saudis don't listen to him all that much. So all Joe Biden is doing is tapping into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. 
A genius move. So again, bad policy stacked on top of bad policy. And I will say the one good piece of news here is it seems like the Federal Reserve is not going to be dissuaded from doing what it has to do on inflation. According to a senior Federal Reserve official, Lael Brainer, the Fed vice chairwoman, she said that the central bank continues to press up the interest rates in order to beat high inflation. She warned that additional unforeseen developments could drive prices higher, extending a pattern where inflation accelerates despite forecasts that has already peaked. So she's saying that we may get even more of this. So we are headed for stagflation is what it looks like. It looks like a solid period of continuing inflation over economic stagnation, pressed forward by higher gas prices generated by lower supply. Amazing, amazing stuff. And the markets are taking this into account. According to the Wall Street Journal, the S&P 500 has moved higher in the one-year period following every midterm election since 1942, but U.S. stocks are not prepared to do this. So after every midterm election, when there's a little bit of solidity, when people sort of understand which direction the country is going, the stock market tends to move up. Right now, people are so freaked out about the markets that they are betting that the market's going to go down next year. According to the Wall Street Journal, tightening monetary policy and worries about an economic slowdown are clouding the outlook. Market participants are still contending with the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate-raising campaign aimed at bringing down persistently hot inflation. Investors expect corporate earnings to weaken as the business environment gets tougher into the year end. And recent wild swings in government bonds and currencies are threatening to further destabilize financial markets. So there's no faith that after this election, things are going to get better anytime soon. Well, maybe one of the reasons that there is very little faith that things are going to get better anytime soon is because the world draws closer, at least by one step, to the possibility of actual nuclear weapons use. Over the weekend, Russia annexed actual territories in Ukraine. The goal of this is to then say that when Ukraine moves into those territories, which are Ukrainian territory, that this is now an aggressive war, no longer a defensive war, and thus Russia can defend itself with any and all means at, at its disposal, whether we're talking about 300,000 call-up reservists or a million call-up reservists, or the use of battlefield tactical nuclear weapons. According to the Washington Post, President Putin's declaration of the annexation of four regions in eastern and southern Ukraine signals the onset of a new and highly dangerous phase in the seven-month war, one that Western officials and analysts fear could escalate to the use of nuclear weapons for the first time in 77 years. Again, this is one of the problems. You, you, keep, you keep caging the bobcat, and eventually, if you let even like this much skin near the bobcat, the bobcat goes for it. Putin has previously threatened to resort to nuclear weapons if Russia's goals in Ukraine continue to be thwarted. The annexation brings the use of a nuclear weapon a step closer by giving Putin a potential justification on the grounds that the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, as he put it in his speech last week. He renewed that threat on Friday, made an ominous comment that the U.S. atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki created a precedent for the use of nuclear weapons, echoing references he has made in the past to the U.S. invasion of Iraq as setting a precedent for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this is something that the Soviets used to do a lot. You see it in third world countries a lot. This idea that our predations, our evils are justified because the United States did this thing 70 years ago in a completely different context. So Putin is doing that routine now. U.S. and Western officials say they still think it's unlikely Putin will carry out his threats. But the truth is that in September, October of last year, nobody thought that Putin was actually going to invade Ukraine. Most probably, they say he's hoping to deter the West from providing more sophisticated military assistance to Ukraine, while the mobilization of an additional 300,000 troops allows Russia to reverse or at least halt its military setbacks on the battlefield. But the threats appear to have only strengthened Western resolve to continue sending weapons to Ukraine, and the Ukrainian military is continuing to advance into Russian-occupied territory. NATO and, uh, and the West are taking a very, very strong stand. There's a, a large-scale bet here. It'll either pay off handsomely in that Vladimir Putin will be put back on his heels. He won't actually do the thing that he is threatening to do. Or it's going to pay off in the worst possible way in that Russia starts using tactical battlefield nuclear weapons. The West responds by putting NATO, for example, assets directly over Russian targets. And then you're really on the brink of full-out nuclear warfare with the Russians. Okay, all this is being pressed forward because the Ukrainians, ironically, have been so successful. 
According to the Wall Street Journal, residents of the war-wracked town of Lyman ventured onto the streets on Sunday morning, ensuring unusual quiet after months of fighting unsure about who was now in charge. The last Russian forces drove out of the city the previous night, trying to avoid getting encircled by the advancing Ukrainian troops. Not all of the Russians made it out. Burning Russian vehicles and sprawled bodies of dead Russian soldiers remain on the roadsides outside the cities. Lyman is a strategic town. It's on the northern tip of the Donetsk region. That's one of the four areas that Russia just annexed over the weekend. Its loss is a major embarrassment for Putin. The first such retreat from a city he claims is officially part of Russia. So as I say, the West is, uh, is, is talking a big game here. And thus far, it's been easy for them to talk a big game because the Ukrainians who are fighting and doing and all the dying. I mean, it's, it's, it's the Europeans who are undertaking economic largesse. It's, it's the Europeans and the Americans who are really undertaking the shipping of what are kind of second-rate weapons to, to most of NATO and to, and to the United States in particular. Um, but they're taking a very strong rhetorical line with regard to Russia. Jan Stoltenberg, who is the head of NATO, he, uh, he suggested that Ukraine might be able to join NATO like right now. The NATO has an open-door policy, uh, and every nation, including, of course, also Ukraine, has the right to choose its own path, including what kind of security arrangements it wants to be a part uh, of. Uh, at the same time, any decision on uh, membership uh, has to be taken by consensus. All 30 allies uh, have, uh, have, have to agree uh, to make uh, such a, a decision. And the main focus, the, 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 the top priority now uh, among NATO allies and partners is to support Ukraine. Meanwhile, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor to the president, he said that the Russian annexation attempt is a fraudulent attempt, which it is. I mean, the, the the, the Russian attempt to annex this as a historic part of Russia is silly, but uh, it obviously is, is an attempt to set up the predicate for the possibility of pouring more troops into the region. President Biden issued a strong condemnation of Russia's fraudulent attempt to annex sovereign Ukrainian territory. This act is a flagrant violation of international law, and it has no legitimacy. Unfortunately, it's also not surprising it's straight out of Putin's playbook of deceit, disinformation, and aggression. And we've been warning about it for months. In fact, I've stood at this podium and warned about it several times, including as recently as last week. By the way, the, the Ukrainian advances continue apace. According to certain Russian sources, they're saying the Ukrainian forces are trying to take over a place called the Beryslav. If those claims are true, it would indicate Ukrainian soldiers have now breached around 72 kilometers into Russian lines in Kherson Oblast, which is, again, one of these regions that Russia is now claiming as its own. So the possibility of Putin actually doing something wild is, is growing by the day. This whole situation is very much reminiscent of the 1939-1940 so-called Winter War in Finland. At that time, it was right at the outset of, of World War II. The Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact had been signed. There was a, an alliance between the USSR and Germany. And the USSR decided that while they were kind of gobbling up land that they had not actually expended any military resources for, they may as well go after Finland as well. And so they declared war on Finland. They invaded Finland, a very, very tiny country. And Finland fought back and fought back incredibly hard and actually stalled the Russian advance almost completely. They, they were receiving some forms of, of support from the United States. They were receiving support from the outside, from, from a wide variety of nations, ranging from actually Italy to to. Britain to the United States to Hungary. There are a lot, there's a lot of support against the USSR in Finland. And it basically stopped the USSR dead. At the very last minute, there was a, there was a big infusion of Russian troops into that region, like right into the north of Finland. And basically the USSR cut a deal with Finland that prevented the rest of the world from going to war directly with Russia. That was at a time when there were no nuclear weapons. And, and so the idea there was that the, the West was, was sort of relieved in the sense they wouldn't have to go to war with this enormous country that was the USSR. 
They wouldn't have to go to direct war at a time when they were already war with Hitler. And Stalin was relieved because he wouldn't have to go directly to war with one of these capitalist countries he thought was fighting another capitalist country in Germany. He saw the war between Germany and the West as a sort of internecine war in the West. The difference this time is that we're not talking about the possibility of having to go directly to war with a conventional army in Russia. That would actually would not be all that intimidating for NATO. NATO has resources that vastly outpace that which Russia can bring to bear. We're talking about a nuclear armed country. And so the real threat here is not that Russia is going to rush a bunch of troops into the region. The real threat is the possibility of use of nuclear weapons in the region, violating that precept. And nobody really knows what's going to happen next. If Russia were to use a nuclear weapon, nobody knows what the response looks like from the West. What do they do? Do they put those NATO airplanes over Russian targets? Do they provide significant forward military resources to the Ukrainians for the possibility of taking actual Russian terror? What does that even look like? And this is why Putin's threatening it, of course. So this is now a giant bluff. I mean, this is a, this is a, a giant poker game. And again, when I say it's a bluff, I hope it's a bluff. It may not be a bluff, which is why, as I've been saying all along, the best case scenario here is that Putin goes. But if we're just hoping to avoid the worst case scenario, which is the reinstitution of nuclear weapons, well, then at this point, you have to be talking to Putin about what an off-ramp looks like. By the same token, if Putin can simply hold up the rest of the world by threatening to use a nuclear weapon, well, there's a reason why North Korea has a nuclear weapon. It's because they've been able to hold at bay the rest of the world, despite being a horrific, tyrannical hellhole of a state. And this is why Iran is seeking a nuclear weapon as, as well. Alrighty, coming up, we'll get to Joe Biden who unfortunately continues his descent into senility. The Daily Wire is hiring a senior front-end web developer to join our streaming platform and e-commerce team. You need at least three years of real-world software experience, but you don't need a college degree, just big league coding shops. In Big Bang Theory speak, you gotta be adept in HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript, React Native, and RESTful APIs. I don't know what any of those things are, but you may, which might make you qualified for this job. In any case, if front-end web development is your love language, Apply to join us in Nashville, where you will upgrade the user experience and beauty, not just of our streaming platform, but more importantly, of my sections of the website, which is the part that's important to me. So go to dailywire.com careers and apply today. Also, the Daily Wire is hiring a senior vice president of marketing, analytics, data, and operations. That is a lot of responsibility, I'm told. This is a high-profile executive role with paid relocation to Nashville. Mm, that's nice. I don't know what any of those things mean either. This innovator will design, hire, and oversee a world-class marketing data and analytics team that has built atop the marketing data stack from CRM platforms to multi-touch attribution tools to propensity targeting models. Again, don't know what any of this means. This leader will, for example, study which Daily Wire shows and films most interest the fans and also which Daily Wire host is most annoying. Well, we don't need a study for that. We know the answer. That's Michael Moles. So if you understand what a full marketing data and analytics stack is, you might want to head on over to dailywire.com slash careers right now to apply. Well, speaking of someone who doesn't know what's going on around him most of the time, the president of the United States continues to gaff apace. So repeatedly over the weekend, the president of the United States just made clear that he should not be allowed out of the basement because every time he comes out of the basement, he makes a boo-boo. So uh, at one point during a speech over the weekend, the president suggested that he was used to being banged up on by Republicans, but... Uh, <laughs> I know I'm being banged up by the Republicans, but come bring it on. Yeah, bring, bring on him, man. Also, I don't know why he's on the set from a 1970s game show, but apparently he is. Also, Joe Biden told a reporter at one point not to uh, look at the teleprompter. This is a thing that he said in the middle of a press conference. American and its allies are not going, let me emphasize, are not going to be intimidated, are not going to be intimidated by Putin and his reckless words and threats. He's not going to scare us, and he doesn't or intimidate us. Putin's actions are a sign he's struggling. The sham referenda he 
carried out and the this routine he put on. Don't worry, it's not on there if you're looking, okay? Uh, who's he talking to and why? And why is he talking to the teleprompter again? Yeah, when this was Donald Trump, this just demonstrated who's unfit. When it's Joe Biden, he's, he's everybody's charming grandpa who talks to ghosts. He did that again, so that was fun. He finished his, uh, his little presser and Jill came to guide him away the way that Edith Wilson used to wheel away Woodrow. And, uh, and Joe Biden just starts like shaking hands with the air again. Maybe, maybe it's just, again, my, my going theory is maybe it's, maybe it's we who cannot see. Maybe, in fact, he does have a, a best friend who's a ghost. It's possible. I mean, why not? First of all, that'd make a great pitch for a, a movie. It would do better than Bros did over the weekend. The, the, the president who has an imaginary friend who died like 20 years ago. I think that would work. Here, here's the president of the United States and his imaginary dead friend. Here he is. He's talking to, to no one. And then he's like, where should I go? And Kamala Harris is like... Talking about that a little later today, okay? Let's Kamala Harris is like, let's go this way. And Jill's like looking down at the floor just to make sure that he doesn't trip over a cord. Literally, that's what they're doing. They're all looking down at the floor to make sure that Joe does not trip over the cord to the teleprompter. Yeah, all of this is very, very encouraging. It's also very encouraging that the person backing up Joe Biden is Kamala Harris. Joe Biden suggested that she would not be the last woman to be either vice president or president. If he is trying to predict here that Kamala Harris will be president, I can, uh, I can dissuade him of that notion. Kamala Harris will never be president of the United States. She is awful at this job. There are just, there's no way, unless, God forbid, something happens to him and she just accedes to the job, there, there's no way. There's no way she becomes elected president of the United States. You're the first, uh, but Kamala often says you won't be the last. Uh, Kamala won't be the last woman to be vice president or president. Uh, she's not going to be. Okay. All righty. Meanwhile, the Democrats in the polls have begun to sink. They are receding back to the, the kind of norm for this area. There was this, this spike during the summer. And the implication during that spike is that possibly the Democrats would have a shot at retaining the House. That is no longer the case. It is pretty certain at this point that Republicans are going to pick up significant seats in the House. It was, it's almost undoubted that they will end up taking the House. Meanwhile, in the Senate polling, a lot of these polls are really, really close. In Wisconsin, the Real Clear Politics polling average puts Ron Johnson up in Wisconsin. It puts Adam Laxalt up in Nevada. John Fetterman's lead is down to somewhere between two and four points by all available polling. Georgia's race is dead even, and Brian Kemp is likely to pull Herschel Walker over the finish line in that particular race. It looks as though J.D. Vance is going to win his race. It looks like Rubio is going to win his race. So what that really means is that Republicans will likely be able to pick up at least a couple more seats, which would put them in the driver's seat for the, for the coming Congress. They would end up with a majority in both the Senate and in the House. Maybe that has to do with the quality of the leadership on the Democratic side of the aisle. Nancy Pelosi had a bit of a gaffe over the weekend. Uh, she just, more and more, she's just Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. What does a banana cost, Michael? Does it cost like $11? Here's Nancy Pelosi, teeth a-clacking, explaining that Florida shouldn't be shipping illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. They need to stay down there in Florida and pick the fruit, which is um, super racist. Right now, the best thing that we can do for our economy is to have comprehensive immigration reform. We have a shortage of workers in our country, and you see even in Florida, some of the farmers and the growers saying, why are you shipping these uh, immigrants uh, up north? We need them to pick the crops down here. But that doesn't mean that we don't recognize our moral responsibility as well. So, uh, wait, our moral responsibility is to keep cheap 
illegal labor in Florida so they can pick oranges? Is that what she's suggesting our moral responsibility is right there? Man, with a leadership class like Joe Biden and, and Nancy Pelosi, I can't imagine how things are going wrong for Democrats. All right, guys, the rest of the show is continuing now, including Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez writing letters to a bunch of rabbis about how she should be able to dictate their views on gay rights. Plus, the Supreme Court is coming back into session. They have a bunch of big decisions on the docket. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.